Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. And this is Zenith, that podcast where we grow a conscience for some reason because this week we watched Shadow. Written by Chris Boucher. Directed by Jonathan Wright Miller. And aired on January 16th, 1979. So the first time I've gotten to say someone's <laughs> name other than Terry Nation. Nation. But then again, it's Chris Boucher who basically wrote the latter half of the first season. Yeah, but they're all still credited to Terry Nation. Yeah, so. yeah they are. Yeah, so the first episode that Terry Nation didn't write, they finally kicked him out of the writer's office. Like, Terry, we need to find someone else to write. Although they're still stuck with Terry Nation's one-word titles that tell you nothing about the story, so... Well, I mean, this one, I guess it doesn't tell you anything about the story because you don't don't know what Shadow is. But at the same time, Terry Nation also didn't want to write all the episodes for Series B, unlike he did with Series A, because, like, a few episodes into Series A, as is common knowledge, he was like, I can't do this, guys. I can't do this. Yeah, probably because he realized it was a bad idea and he burned himself out in Series A, I guess it's referred to. So he finally passed the mantle on to Chris Boucher. Last week we got an email asking us to mention what stories of Doctor Who aired at the time of the episode that of Blake 7 we watched that week, just so that when we talk about Doctor Who there's kind of a point of reference. So I went and looked it up for this week. This episode aired, so Shadow aired between Power of Kroll and Armageddon Factor. So Power of Kroll aired part four on the 13th of January, and then this aired on the 16th, and then on the 20th of January, uh, episode one of Armageddon Factor aired. So. Yeah, so good key to time stories there. Armageddon Factor is my favorite Doctor Who story of all time. I still strongly disagree with that <laughs> statement. That's neither here Fire. nor there. That's not for this podcast. Fire. But yeah, so that's the, uh, if you're not tremendously well-versed in Doctor Who, that's the Gareth Williams slash Anthony Reed season of The Fourth Doctor. Yeah, and right the, the very next season is when Douglas Adams comes in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which so. was a good change of pace for the show. Yeah, so that's kind of where we are in British science fiction, I guess, as a, as a timeline reference. And so the story begins... With, How does it begin? It begins with um, Largo and Hannah and Beck. Beck. Yeah, Beck, Hannah, and Largo. They're sort of in a nondescript room. Largo is obviously in control here. He's sort of lounging around, and Beck and Hannah are at his beck and call. Ha, 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 hmm. ha. Anyway, hmm. Largo offers them some shadow. <laughs> Which looks like a dragon ball. Like I mentioned, <laughs> off recording, it's a little orange ball that Largo just kind of holds in his hand. Not really sure how you take the shadow, since we don't see anyone take yeah, shadow in this story. Shadow. Do you like swallow that massive ball? Because that would kind of suck. Because it's huge. <laughs> you just maybe that's why shadow kills you because you you just choke to death. <laughs> but so Hannah, Largo asks Hannah to beg for the shadow, and so she begs. She does, yeah. And then he tells Beck to do it. And then when Largo, Largo turns his head, Beck just pulls a gun on him and is like, yeah, you think I would take Shadow? I'm not a fool, you idiot. He calls, I think Hannah is implied to be a Shadow addict because she he, Largo calls her a dream head. Yeah, I don't, I don't think know. it's even apply, implied. I think it's straight up stated later on because that's why they have to go to the other planet where the farm is because they, they, they have to try synthesize some Shadow for Hannah when... yeah. Well, She's I mean, Blake has other reasons for going there, but... Yeah, but part yeah. of the reason is that they want to synthesize the shadow themselves for yeah. Hannah. And it's also implied that I think Beck and Hannah have some sort of familial relation. They're brother, they're, really and, si- they're, I think they're brother and sister. brother and sister was what I got out of it, yeah. but... And they, they, um, so they have a plan to escape. 
well, Beck has a plan. Hannah didn't know oh, about yeah. this plan until <laughs> right now. She's yeah. like, why are you doing this, Beck? This is crazy. And he's like, we got to escape. We're basically slaves, Hannah. We need to escape. So they're, there's, they're bringing another person along with them. So they're going to go to where they need to go. Hannah's going to go where they need to go. And Beck is going to go do some things. And yeah, because he steals, he steals Largo's money. And he's going to go bribe some of the captains to take him off Space City. That's the name of the station, by the way. <laughs> Space City. That's a Terry Nation, isn't it, if I ever heard one? Except it's not because Chris Boucher wrote this story. So, but, okay, so Beck came prepared. I really liked this part of his plan because he tells Largo that if he contacts, because Largo has a communicator near him, and he tells Largo that if he contacts anyone, he's going to shoot him. Mm-hmm. So they leave, and Largo is like, oh, I'll just, Largo has his eyes closed because he also tells Largo that if he opens his eyes, he'll kill him. So they leave, and Largo is about to use the communicator, but Beck leaves behind a recording of himself saying, don't you dare do that, Largo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which stops Largo for, I guess it just buys them some more time. Eventually he realized they're not there. Yeah, so they go, they end up, Beck ends up meeting with Hannah in the storage room where they were going to meet and- Yeah, this is a little later. We can explain it now. The third person is dead. dead. Of shadow overdose. Well, actually, actually she said, no, she said he didn't it. take any shadow. And then Beck said, yeah, this is what shadow does. Even when you don't take it, it kills you. Huh. So Yeah, so I guess just being around it. it like, I think I think once you've taken it once, it's like slowly killing you. And also later on, there's the the implication that he probably actually didn't die from the shadow itself, but probably from what Largo put into the shadow, which we can talk about later. Anyway, now we get to the, we cut to the Liberator. And uh, I think we get a shot of like everybody on the bridge at once at their consoles, which I noted because I think it was like the first time we've actually seen (laughs) a full on frontal view of the bridge with everyone standing at their stations and Blake sitting in front in the captain's chair. And I thought it was like a really cool shot. So I just made a note of it. Yeah, really encapsulates this episode because this is basically the first episode where everyone does something, including Zen and Orak. So it was, you know, really good in that regard. Yeah. I mean, also the, this was also a Callie episode, so you know the the past few episodes have been like, wow, Callie really isn't doing Jack, but here she gets her time in the sun. The, the first time the Liberator shows up in this story is actually we see like the window behind Beck, and you see the Liberator just kind of snoop in from the side of the window, just slowly sneaking into frame. And I thought it was like a really funny shot. I think I actually burst out laughing at the Liberator just sneaking out from the side of this window. Anyway, we also get a shot of Space City, so it's it's a space station. It's a space city. <laughs> Villa's like, Space City, all I've ever dreamed of. It's all here in And front Blake's of me. like, you're not going down. And Villa's like, oh, what? It's like, every vice you could imagine is down there. I need to be there, Blake. Blake's like, no. Gan, all right, Gan was weird in this episode. <laughs> Gan is like, you know what we're doing, right, Blake? We can't... Uh, convene with the Terra Nostra. Yeah, wait, wait, we have syndicate. <laughs> wait, pause, because we haven't actually explained what Blake wants to do, so that doesn't make sense yet. What Blake wants to do is he wants to get with this basically a terrorist organization called the Terra Nostra. Or, I mean, not maybe not terrorists. The terrorists like, to cri- the Federation. They're, they're like a crime syndicate. The Federation considers them terrorists, I think, like Avon or Blake says. I mean, I think they're a crime syndicate that engages in like terror activity that can be considered terrorist activity. Yeah, but anyway, Blake wants to buy their help in fighting the Federation. So yeah, then Gan's like, we can't go with the Terra Nostra. They're like terrible people. And they're like, Blake they're a crime like, syndicate. Blake is like, we're... Again, we're all criminals. 
yeah. And, our only, and my only goal is to destroy the Federation at any cost. So, Gan, just sit down. Yeah, at the end of this episode, when, when it's revealed the big twist about the Terra Nostra, Blake's like, we may be looking at the only good people in the galaxy. And Avon's like, well, that's a terrifying thought. <laughs> but what was more, what was the weirdest part about this for me is this new facet of Gan's character. I mean, Gan... <laughs> Maybe it's the, the limiter acting up again. Okay, okay, I mean, Gan with the limiter on has always been sort of docile. Uh, well, like 50% well, of the time. Pause, remember? <laughs> what was the episode where Avon had a god complex deliverance? deliverance. <laughs> Gan was like, I think I'm beginning to enjoy all this violence. But anyway, it was just weird how Gan was so against... Uh, working with the Terra Nostra. Gan is the most inconsistently written character on the show, which is surprising since every other character basically has a consistent character for the entire show. And then there's just Gan ping-ponging between like seven different states. <laughs> ping-ponging between being a murderous psychopath and being The just... voice of reason. <laughs> yeah. In this story, which is usually Villa. Except in this story, Villa wants to go down and get smashed drunk. Yeah, I read that this story is the first of many stories to introduce... Or this is the introduction of Villa's affinity for alcohol, which is a big point going on from here, mm-hmm. which has never really been a, a point up until this point. Yeah, because I don't think they've even mentioned alcohol on the show before. So, nope. But yeah, anyway, so Blake takes everybody down except for Callie and Villa, who he leaves on the Liberator for backup. And Gan is supposed to be like the backup on Space City because he doesn't go through the meeting because once again, Jenna just knows everybody in the galaxy because apparently Jenna knows She knows Largo. Largo. It, she, she lets everyone know that Largo is part of the reason why she got arrested. Yeah, he like betrayed her, sold her out when he was when she was running some of his product. Yeah, she, she was running some of his product. I think what it was is that she refused to... He wanted her to, to do more than what she was doing and she refused, so he sold her out. And... Presumably, this is how she got captured at the beginning of the series, although not for sure. Yeah. So, her, Blake, and Avon are going to talk with Largo because he kind of runs the Terra Nostra on Space City. Gan is supposed to be like the backup. Yeah, Beck- Gan's supposed to just stand in a hallway. <laughs> we forgot to mention that Beck and Hannah get captured in that room where the other guy's dead. They end yeah. up getting captured. I think, yep. I think they actually get captured right before we cut to the Liberator, and I think we just forgot to mention it. Yeah, Largo's henchman pulls a gun on them and Only mentioning his henchman because he comes into play a little later then well blake and avon kind of try to haggle with largo for a bit and largo's yeah. not having it because he's like i'm avon. not a criminal i'm a completely legitimate businessman and yeah, they're like the yeah t- right the sure nostra don't even exist <laughs> avon <laughs> avon says you seem pretty sure of that largo <laughs> largo gives this foolproof alibi <laughs> He's like, I have a, I have contacts in the Federation. I'm sure if the Terra Nostra existed, they would tell me, and they haven't told me. Therefore, the Terra Nostra don't exist. Yeah. Well, and then Jenna's like, what about all that product you had me run? He's like, I didn't know that were illegal drugs. I just gave <laughs> you the on, boxes, Jenna. Jenna. I didn't even, I didn't know it was in the, in the bag. <laughs> I didn't know I gave you a bag full of cocaine to fly over the border into California. <laughs> You can't pin this on me, Jenna, okay? You can't pin this I on me. I thought it was cane sugar. <laughs> I also thought it was hilarious what Avon uses to bargain because there's just this scene where he takes he takes the gem, I guess it's supposed to be out of the bag, but it just looks like a plastic orb. <laughs> Avon's like, is it, 
have anything to say to this. <laughs> you just put some plastic down in front of Largo. <laughs> then again, the the cactus things later the don't moon discs. Yeah, the moon discs don't look any. Wait, okay, I'm going to talk about the moon discs later because I have some things to say about the moon discs. <laughs> So then Blake and Avon were like, well, guess we'll just give up then and leave. So as they're leaving, they get captured by the henchman who also captures Gan. And when they're in the jail cell, Beck is like, did you really think Gan would be a good like man on the inside who wouldn't get noticed? I mean, look at him. He looks like a brick house. Yeah, this was really a terrible decision to keep Gan on lookout because, well, what Beck says is true. Also, you, you know, you think you'd want to have Gan, the strongest one on the Liberator, to uh, be there as backup in case Largo tries to pull anything. But no. Yeah, so then, meanwhile, while this is all going on, Villa comes up with this ingenious plan <laughs> to have Orak operate the teleporters to teleport himself down because Callie's not going to do it. We should yeah, also mention Callie's cape that she's oh, wearing yeah. in this story. Yeah, yeah, she's wearing a cape. You know, I, I mentioned last episode how kind of ridiculous, I think we both, both mentioned this actually, how kind of ridiculous the outfits look now, but they're kind of starting to grow on me. You know, I'm kind of disappointed that Gan isn't wearing that full-length robe anymore. Well, I'm glad Avon's not wearing the leather daddy outfit he was wearing in the last episode. Someone on Twitter was like, that's Avon's best outfit. I don't know if I agree with that, but it is, it's kind of growing on me. Avon's best outfit is definitely the shiny silver reflective jumpsuit that I think he wore in this, but that he also wore in Deliverance because no, it just looks awesome. No, no, I, I like the uh, the Luke Skywalker cosplay they put on later. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get that Star Wars audience. We should have just called this I, podcast Costumes of Blake 7 and just talked about outfits for an hour every week. That would be uh, something. I actually just found out that Blake 7 came out before Star Wars in the UK, like a week before Star Wars. Huh. Which is interesting. interesting. Yeah. Also came out on the same day as Logan's Run. I didn't know that Logan's Run was even existent before. Oh, yeah. Logan's <laughs> Run's like a pretty big sci-fi movie, I think. I think it's a show. I mean, might I don't be know. a show. I don't know. It's I, a big sci-fi thing. That's I don't really all I know. know what it. I didn't really know what it was, but then people started saying like, "Yeah, Blake Seven came out like around the same time as Logan's Run." So, huh? And I read that there were some suspicious similarities between Logan's Run and the first episode of Blake Seven. So it's interesting. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, Terry Nation. We'll save that. That's all. That's Logan's. all I'm gonna say. Terry Nation. <laughs> so Villa. Villa, Villa begs Callie to to beam him down, and or teleport him down. Beam him down is from Star, Star Trek. Trek. Uh, Callie's like no, so but he does it anyway because he gets Orak to do it. She, Villa's like, if only I could operate the teleport panel by myself like Orak can. Wait a minute. He turns to the camera and he's like, wait a minute, like Orak can. Uh. Villa actually has some of my favorite lines in the story. I'm going to totally butcher this line, but when they were talking about the Terra Nostra basically controlling everything, Villa says something like, I could go murder someone, and it wouldn't be the Terra Nostra's fault, although if I pickpocketed his pockets afterward, I'm sure they'd want a cut of it. <clears throat> I mean, Villa does consistently get some of the best lines. Yeah, he does. Probably second to, second to Paul Darrow gets all the best lines because we already know why. Poor Gareth Thomas. Anyway, but what, yeah, I mean, all right, poor Gareth Thomas, but would it really fit the show and Blake's character if you had, if you had Blake coming off with snappy one-liners every now and then? No, 
Because Blake's supposed to be the only actually good person on the crew who wasn't actually a criminal. He was just framed. I mean, you can... He's kind of... He's a political criminal, basically. Yeah, but... But the Federation's pretty bad themselves, so... You I was can, gonna say, but it's not really anything compared to Avon, who stole millions of dollars and killed someone, or Gan, who probably possibly killed a couple guards, or Jenna, who was smuggling drugs. Yeah, I think Blake7, in character, that new podcast, sort of mentioned this, and I want to mention it here because it was really interesting. They mentioned how Blake and Jenna... Or they, they sort of posit this thing where it's like this i mean the sort of main trio right blake avon and jenna mm-hmm. blake is not content with what the federation is doing and the reason why he's a criminal is that he he opposes the federation mm-hmm. whereas avon is totally content with what the federation does and only breaks a lot so that he can live in luxury within the federation right yeah whereas jenna is just you know a, a criminal and sort of goes around rules laws federation rules and laws so that she can live within the federation so like a midway point between blake and avon almost hmm that's interesting i was also actually going to say that blake is actually probably not the least criminal of all them and i was actually going to say it's actually probably callie because callie was just sent to go liberate a planet from the federation rule there's more you find out about callie i think this season i was going to say but might not be true yeah, I mean, I'm, I guess we don't know the whole story about Callie. I spoiled some of some things about Callie accidentally, and I don't think I know the whole story yet. But I guess really Zen is actually the least criminal of all of them. I'm not going to count Orak because Orak seems like a criminal to me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the whole Liberator crew is criminals in a galaxy of criminals. And I know one of the emails last week said that Dark Matter was inspired by Blake 7 in that aspect. And yeah, I agree. I think it's pretty obvious that Dark Matter is inspired a lot by Blake 7. Dark Matter is a show which is basically about a ship of criminals in a galaxy of criminals trying to do less criminalistic things. <laughs> I think I've mentioned Dark Matter on this show before, actually, in a couple of our early first couple episodes. Yeah, it's it's a... I mean, I haven't watched the show. I barely know anything about it, but I think it's one of those shows that got big because of the outcry about how it was canceled or something like that. Partially. Actually, you know, I was thinking about this in the past week. But there is actually similarities between Dark Matter and Blake 7, and there's actually seven people on the ship of Dark Matter, on the ship in Dark Matter. Well, there's nine now on Blake 7, so, you know, got to get to killing some of them off. Well, so I was going to say there's seven on Dark Matter as well, but also only if you count the computer as a character, much like in the original, you know, in series A, yeah, you had to count right. Zen That's as a character. That's pretty much a direct reference to it. So, so <laughs> I thought that was pretty interesting. Although in, in Dark Matter, the computer actually has like a corporeal form because the computer can inhabit this android that's on the ship. So so they can actually have it do things yes. like more than Zen. <laughs> and so it can actually have character development. The computer actually has character development over the three seasons, which amazes me because it's a computer. But anyway. There are a lot of shows actually that had taken inspiration from Blake 7. I think Blake 7 is one of those shows where the things that took inspiration from it don't, like, outright say that they take inspiration from it. Or, like, Blake Mm -hmm. 7 is, at least here in the U.S., sort of obscure enough that you don't even really know. I was going to say, I also think Blake 7 is one of those shows where the the shows that took inspiration from it, at least in the modern day and age, kind of overshadowed Blake 7, at least in America. Maybe not so true in the U.K., where Blake 7 is probably more well-known. Yeah, well, I mean, we keep, I, I keep mentioning this. Uh, I mean, here, Blake 7, uh, like we just said, isn't really that well known. And now I, people talk about Blake 7 like it's some sort of cult classic. But if you look at the viewership ratings for this show, they were 
pretty high. I mean, it was rated mm-hmm. in the millions each episode, the high million, like the. I mean, even with yeah. a few of ratings like that, it can still become like a cult show. This is, you know, not all those people who tuned in are necessarily going to like the show. And it, you know, it may not have been in the public consciousness directly after its cancellation, you know, it may have been canceled and then maybe it fell into obscurity for a while and then it kind of had a resurgence in the 2000s. That's something that I would have to look up the history of Blake 7 fandom. But I think that you can have a cult show that was like really popular when it was on and then just kind of fell into obscurity when it got canceled. And yeah, then I guess. had a resurgence later on because a lot of things were inspired by it. You know, maybe that resurgence happened because a lot of people were like, oh, well, Blake 7 did it first. And then some people were like, oh, well, what's Blake 7? But, you know, like I said, I don't know. That's something I'd have to look yeah. up. Yeah. But no, I definitely think that's true. I think a lot of the things, at least here in the U.S., uh, at least uh, and a lot of American productions, which makes sense, were inspired by Blake 7, but like sort of overshadowed it. So mm-hmm. you don't really see, you don't really look at Blake 7 as being an, a, a major inspiration, though right. it might have been. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back to the story. Yeah, so um, Villa hides Orak. Oh yeah, Villa hides Orak, and, and he, Callie doesn't know where Orak is. Go, he goes down to Space City, and Callie tries contacting him, <laughs> but he's like drunk. And well, I thought like, this was just Orak making a fake Villa. Yeah, voice. I didn't know what this was. Based on like what happens later, this could have been anything, really. Yeah, and I guess it doesn't oh. really matter. But to me, it sounded like a fake Villa voice from Orak because it was just like, "Hi, Callie, I'm fine." Would you like anything from Space City? And Callie's like, a necklace made of your teeth, Villa. And Villa's just like, okay. What if he actually brought it back for her? Oh, God. He comes back with no teeth. He's like, here you go, Callie. She's like, how drunk were you? Maybe you took some shadow. Well, I guess he's addicted now. Blake actually mentions the necklace made of teeth thing later on, weirdly enough. Yeah, because I guess Callie tells him the whole story. So Blake and his buddies... Blake and his crew. Blake and his liberator buddies. <laughs> now I'm imagining like a like a kid's book version of Blake 7 entitled Blake and his buddies. And it's got like a really cartoony version of the liberator drawn on the cover. It takes out all the violence and yeah, it's just like drug innuendos. It just talks about how Blake is like a rebel hero trying to overthrow the Federation. So Blake and Jenna and Avon and Gan and Beck and Hannah make their way back to Largo and... Basically end yeah, up they escaping. Ha- they have this plan to <laughs> to um, overpower the guards. Yeah, they just need to get just, the teleporter bracelets back. Just to them and like, karate chop them in the back of the neck. It yes. works, though. So they go get the teleporter bracelets back, and they teleport away, and Beck's like, take us with you. And Blake's like, no, because Beck points a gun at him, and then they just <laughs> teleport out, and Beck's like, wow. And Hannah's like, you pointed a gun at him. Did you really think he was going to say yes? And, I mean, I got the impression that Blake was going to take them. They just didn't have any extra bracelets, so... Yeah, but then he came back yeah, and he's like, I changed my mind. Yeah, so I don't know if Blake actually changed his mind or if he was just going to go back and get the bracelets and you know come back. Yeah, how they get out is actually that Callie contacts Space City and he, she tells them oh, yeah, that she will cool. blow them up if they don't release Blake and everyone else from the Liberator. Yeah, we skip the entire part where she uses her, her telepathy to trick Largo. Well, that happens now because then Largo calls her up and says, oh, so you've got these people. And then Bla- well, Blake then says... Actually, Blake calls him up under Largo's direction. He's like, hey, bring all of the gold in the treasure room to us. And Callie's like, all of it? And Blake's like, yes, all of it. (laughs) All four. Have Zen loaded up and bring it to us in the shuttlecraft. And Largo's like, your shuttlecraft is here. And then I was like, wait, but what shuttlecraft? I guess, I mean, maybe Blake and everyone else just, oh, yeah, yeah, they teleported down. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. 
So anyway, no, Lago, and then Blake's like, we have multiple shuttlecraft. And Lago's like, well, how many do you have? And Blake's like, four. So Lago then asks Callie, how many shuttlecraft do you have? So then Callie uses her telepathy to tap into Blake's mind and find out how many shuttlecraft he told Lago that they had. Yeah, she's, she, she counts telepathically and tells Blake to say her name when he get, she gets to the correct number, which is four. So they pull that off pretty pretty nicely, pull off Callie using her telepathy for something actually useful. Well, and more later on in the story. Well, well, yeah, the second half of the story basically revolves around Callie, so. But yeah, when that communication cuts, Callie threatens to blow up Space City, and then they send out, like, a gunship, and Zen, she tells Zen to just fire off their bow. She actually has to plead with Orak to put Zen back in control. So Zen's back in control. So yeah, she still doesn't know where Orak is, and she shoots an Ensor beam. (laughs) So I'm calling them now. Ensor beam count three, I guess, if you count the shield. And they keep an Ensor beam count. All right, you, you keep track of that. I'm not going to help you with that. That's all, right. all on you. Right. And it blows up the gunship, and they're like, wait, wait, okay, we'll release him. We'll get him out. <laughs> so that's when they leave, and then Blake goes back for back, and then they go back to the ship, and basically we get we skip a little bit of time because we get some exposition oh, yeah. that they brought <laughs> Villa back and that he's smashed drunk and that they need – and Blake basically says they need Beck's help to cure Villa because yeah. whatever. Blake also pretends to be Largo over the communicator, which he obviously is having a lot of fun with. <laughs> But yeah, then we cut to a little bit later. We're back and Hannah are on the ship. Yeah, and Largo basically has this plan to track them, but he doesn't reveal exactly what it is, but he's talking with the Federation president, I guess. He's talking with or someone in charge. I mean, I, th- I think he's talking to a Terra Nostra person. He's talking with someone, someone in charge. I think it's someone higher up in the Terra Nostra. But yeah, then we sort of get more information about what Shadow is. So it's created from a plant called the Moon Disk. Except it's not really a plot because it's like a sentient creature that can move and stuff. So it's less a plant and more like a bug, I guess. They call it a plant, but it can move and walk and it has telepathic powers. Well, I mean, plants move like really slowly and some move like faster than others, like Venus flytraps and stuff. So, I mean, it kind of reminded me of that Ursula Le Guin story. um, What's it called? Faster than empires and more slow, I think. Hmm. It's about, it's a cool story. It's about sort of sentient plants. Yeah, well, the only reason I thought that Largo was talking with the Federation president is because right at the very end of the episode, Blake drops the thing that the Terra Nostra had been in communication with the Federation president, and the Federation president controls the Terra Nostra, so... Yeah, well, that, that's at the end, so... So that's the only reason why I, I assume that that person that Largo was talking to is the president. Though it might just be someone else. He's, like, doing some sort of bug lepidoptery. Lepidoptery is for butterflies, but, like, he's... I thought he was just feeding... He's, just like, feeding a beetle or something. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, all right, you do that, Largo. So Blake and the Liberated crew, they they analyze Shadow, and that's when they find out it's created from the moon disks. And so... Which is a cactus. It's a type of cactus, I think Avon actually says. Yeah, well... So Not then that Blake decides like that... Cactus. Since they know what Shadow's made of, they can synthesize more for Hannah, because Hannah needs it now because she's addicted, and apparently there's no way to get off of Shadow addiction. Also, they're going to mess with the... Terra Nostra and yeah so Blake realizes I don't know what their plan was honestly well so Blake Blake turns to Avon and says okay we'll do it your way and Avon's like so we'll use force and Blake's like yeah we'll use force and basically their plan is to destroy the moon the the moon moon disc disc plantation because that'll cut off the Terra Nostra supply of shadow yeah so the moon discs need to be in the shadow to grow that's why it's called shadow so that's Mm -hmm. they're gonna destroy the moon disc farms which have like sun blocking equipment as we see later. And then, yeah, because then I think because Blake can synthesize Shadow, he's like, well, him, we can synthesize Shadow and then we basically control the Terra Nostra. 
Gan, Gan again has major complaints about this. Uh, yeah, I just. Yeah, so Blake, Avon, and Jenna uh, go to the plantation. Meanwhile, Callie's still looking for Orac, and she gets captured. Yeah, there's a trip, somehow. There's sort of a trippy sequence with Callie. Looks like she's she gets trapped within Orac, and then it looks like Orac teleports. But yeah, yeah. but and they like do find Orac. Villa finds Orac when he wakes up, and he sees Orac on the ground, and Callie lying next to Orac. Yeah. So they put Callie in the med bay and they take Orac to the bridge. And this is when also Gan mentions this new item of information about Callie's species that we've never heard before, which is that they they never live alone because they're always constantly telepathically connected with each other when they're living on the planet together. And that's why they're so strong is because they're all together all the time and they're never alone. And so Callie is like much weaker because she's alone in the frontier of space without any of her other, I guess, species mates to telepathically communicate with. Yeah, I, I like that line. Someone asked, I forget who. Uh, so what happens when they're alone and Gan says, I think we're beginning to find out. I like that one because it was a cool line for Gan who has had basically, been, <laughs> who's basically been shafted in terms of getting any cool lines. Yeah. Uh, and two, I was more okay with this being sort of out of nowhere because of that line where it's like, oh, all right, I guess we're finally, after however many episodes, this is sort of taking a toll on Callie mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. So yeah, Blake, Jenna, and Avon teleport down to another rock quarry, <laughs> except in full daylight this time. But they're cactuses, so you know it's okay. You don't want cactus growing in a very rainy or forested area; they just die. So they got they got. Yeah, grow. but I also don't think you want cactus in your rock quarry because then it's getting in the way of all the rocks. <clears throat> darn! Why didn't darn. I think? Uh, anyway, yeah, they're they're in a rock quarry. So they see the moon discs for the first time, and uh, I just burst out laughing at the moon discs prop when they, they showed look up. Like amber, kind of. Although at the same time, I think they're pretty cute when they start moving. <laughs> it's like I want a moon disc now. Well, there's a moon disc. I guess it's Blake's ten now. You know, there's a moon disc on the Liberator. <laughs> what if they just change the number in the title sequence every episode to reflect how many people on the Liberator? Also, I bet Beck isn't even going to be on the Liberator next yeah, week no, anyway. I so think, no, I don't think Beck's sticking around. <laughs> Oh, we didn't mention the installation on ORAC. I don't even remember when they put it on, but... Which installation? The... I don't even know what it was anymore, but the... I don't, yeah, because I watched this like a week ago, but the thing that sort of gives you a shock when you touch it... Oh, that's just the key that turns ORAC on and off that uh, that Blake uses, and it only shocked them because the darkness was in control no, of ORAC uh, okay, and didn't want know. ORAC to be turned off. Huh. I never noticed it before now i mean i don't think they made it that noticeable or phil i used it in the last episode so yeah i don't know that they had that on or the orac prop in orac i don't seem to remember it but whatever no because yeah because ensor senior gives it to blake and it's like here's the control all right yeah all right i think last week was only the first time that we found out that to turn orac on you actually have to put the control on orac to turn orac on so yeah, there's also another weird line in this where Jenna says that Orac isn't a computer, and Avon says, well, that's just Ensor. That's what Ensor said, but he is a computer. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember Ensor saying that Orac wasn't a computer. So There's also a line where uh, they ask Callie if Orac was telepathic, and she's like, no, Orac's a computer. He's not a conscious being. And I'm like, but Zen, but Zen is telepathic. Yeah, Zen's telepathic. And Orac kind of is in the same way. Anyway, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's maybe her species doesn't use the word telepathic in the same way. I don't know. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> anyway. I wonder, I mean, I guess this is like, are, are the characters in this speaking English? They are, right? Like, I think I think we had this discussion slightly before and we just no, assumed that, I yeah. Think, I don't think we have. I would have remembered it, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it might just be English for the sake of the audience right like when you watch yeah, a exactly. movie that's with between question. like two russian mobsters they talk english so that you can understand or they dub it i mean yeah, or they put uh, subtitles up yeah that's that's what that's my question like are they actually speaking english or is it is it you know for our sake i mean they are all human except for Callie. so i guess it's not out of the realm of possibility that they're speaking a human language even if they did speak english it probably wouldn't be english in any way that we recognize because yeah. it's the future yep so, it, I mean, it may be English that's just been, like, dumbed down for us. <laughs> dumbed down or uh, retrograded. Yeah, not, yeah, not dumbed down, but retrograded, I guess. I guess it doesn't really matter. It's something interesting to think about. I guess. So, anyway, you see one of the moon disks move. Well, I think one of them, someone says they were supposed to move. Man, this is really disappointing. They sort of rail, rail into the moon disks like, man, I thought these moon disks would be way cooler or something. And yeah, then, so did I. They have such a cool name and they're just little amber spy glosses. Avon never wanted to get his hopes up. It's like they're just plants. And they walk <laughs> away and then you see one move. <laughs> and then they sort of go to where the, they, they go to the moon disk plantation and. There's some guards there. They kill some guards. They, they set up these little charged. scanner things around the plantation. The Blake says yeah. that that will give them basically a map of the entire planet, and then they can just bombard whatever they want from orbit with the Liberator. <clears throat> then Callie has this scene with Orac where she, she's able to teleport herself down to the planet uh, using, I, I guess, the telekinetic powers that they imply that Callie may or may not have. Well, it was the, she's, later on, they say it was the moon disks who brought her down. Well, she also says she that like certain. With the moon well, she also says that certain members of her species are so proficient in telepathy that they have telekinetic powers. So there's like an implication that she may be telekinetic herself as well. Yeah, and that it was just amplified by the moon disks. But yeah, she teleports herself down to the planet and just passes out. And the next time we see her, she's just covered in moon disks. Which, well, just her cape is. Looks like there's, there's a couple down on her, her chest. Sort of cape, but they're not heavy at all. She just gets up. So yeah. Yeah, Orac talks about. Yeah, we get some sort of we get a scenes like in in Callie's mind, or it's, it looks sort of it's sort of trippy and cool, where Callie is contacted by a, a voice using Orac. Mm-hmm. It's obviously not Orac. At the, well, actually, I, I don't want to say it's obviously not Orac. Maybe it's just. I mean, it is obviously not. not Orac at the moment. He says the bridge has almost been completed. The bridge is complete. Contact has been made. <sighs> I mean, even then, that was the point where I was like, okay, it's not Orac, is it? Yeah, this scene is where I was started to be like, oh, it's not Orac, but you know, even then, it's not a hundred, not a one hundred percent thing. I guess. But anyway, it starts talking to Callie, has some cryptic dialogue like what you just mentioned, and then Callie is like, "I'm not alone. You th- you thought I was alone, but I'm not. Haha. Yeah, because earlier Orac taunted Callie by saying, "You're too weak alone to defeat me. You can't stop me." And also, forgot to mention, Hannah dies because she touches the electrified oh, yeah. key of Orac to try to turn oh, it off, yeah. and it just kills her. So. And Beck sort of freaks out about this. He's like. Hannah just died, and he no tries, one else seems. He tries to, no one, to go destroy Orac, but then Villa's like, "No, he'll just kill you too." No one, yeah, no one else seems to care, which makes Beck even more mad slash sad. Yeah, that his sister just died. So Blake, Jenna, and Avon, while well, they fight some Federation guards, and then they end up teleporting up to the ship, and Callie defeats Orac uh, by 
telekinetically getting the key from Orek using the power that's been amplified by the telepathic moon disks. Yeah, once she gets back on the Liberator, she says that a, a being from another dimension was trying to use Orak. Yeah, a to, being called like the darkness. <laughs> to materialize here. In Obi darkness dimension, even way. Oh, jeez. I mean, that's all I could think of when she said the darkness. But she said like the frequency waves that Orak operates on are the same waves in like an alternate dimension that the darkness exists in. The darkness tried to use that to bring yeah, itself what, into this dimension. What kind of technology was Ensor implementing here? Because I don't think the Federation like even knows how to make this tech. That... <laughs> Ensor was living oh, on a God. backwards planet by himself. He may have gone a little bit crazy and maybe gone a little over the top on what he was putting in this box. Then again, Orac is the basis for like all the Federation's computers, right? So... Or like can tap into all of them, so maybe all of the Federation's computers can do this. I don't know. <laughs> or yeah. gets more mysterious as the week goes on, not less. Yeah, well, after the after the Zen debacle, I'm not gonna <laughs> not gonna get my hopes up for any. You mean when they just kill off any possibility of us getting more information about yeah, Zen? Yeah, and redemption. But yeah, it was it was a cool plot point, I guess. Something to actually bring Callie's telepathic powers into the story. Yeah. We actually didn't finish explaining it. They were going to use Callie also as a conduit, sort of, because she was weakened, because she was alone. Yeah. Uh, but she stopped them. So. Yeah. Good on her, I guess. She also brings a moon disc as a... Pet. As a pet slash plant. Jenna's like, don't they die as soon as you take them off the planet? And Callie's like, no, you just have to talk to them. And it's like I, sitting in I a little box of like dirt that litter. she took. Looks like a cat litter box. That oh, she to me, it, it looks like a box of dirt she took from the rock quarry that the moon discs were living in, the plantation. Yeah, I think that's what it was. And it just reminded me of that scene in Pirates of the Caribbean 3. Oh, Jesus. Where uh, Davy Jones isn't allowed to walk on land because of his curse. So they just put him in a bucket of water and drag him <laughs> onto the land when they're having the parlay and he's just standing in a bucket of water on the island. <laughs> I think when Callie says you just have to talk to them, she means like telepathically, yeah. which is why everyone else thinks they just die because yeah. most people aren't telepathic. And then so Blake tells Becky's going to give him three years to fight the Terra Nostra on Space City. And then yeah. he'll come back for it. I'm <laughs> like, three years? You think you'll still be around in three years? Yeah, this was kind of messed up because Beck and Hannah were like slaves on Space City, right? Or at least servants or something yeah. of that sort. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to bring you back to Space City. And Beck is like, no, please don't bring me back. And Blake is like, three years, Beck. <laughs> he's like, you have to fight the Terra Nostra because we just found out they work for the Federation. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like how the U.S. government funded the Contras back in the day to fight yeah. Uh, the U.S. government illicitly. has funded a bunch of... The U.S. government also actually funded a bunch of cartel m members back in the day. Uh, that was also a thing. I'm sure there's other sketchy things that go on now that'll be in the textbooks 50 years from now. But, you know. but yeah, there's a lot of similarities between, the you know, America funding illicit activities in other countries and then being like, ah, no, we're, uh, we're not doing that. No, we're not, we're not flying Contras over here to train them and then sending them back and then that's going to totally blow up in our face well, I mean, kind of also how they trained they actually trained Al-Qaeda and then that kind of blew up in the face yeah. a couple of years later as well yeah well I mean that's also it's related to like how capitalism works today right like mm -hmm. people in other countries suffer so that we here in the US can benefit I mean not even everyone in the US like middle class and higher people in the US can benefit 
uh, it's because also, other people are basically being used as slave labor. Yeah. It's also kind of like if you control the enemy, then you can control the narrative around them. Yeah. Right? So if if you if the Federation controls Terra Nostra, then the Terra Nostra are only going to do what the Federation wants them to do. The, the Terra Nostra aren't going to show up at Federation President's house and blow it up and kill him, right? They're just going to do small things that the Federation can spin in certain ways to make themselves look better. And the Federation can also use the Terra Nostra. Yeah, exactly. They can spin the story, use the Terra Nostra to make themselves look better in the eyes of well, people who don't know that they're on this, you know, controlling the Terra Nostra. Which is also why the Federation is like really upset that Blake is running around with his resistance movement because the Federation doesn't control Blake. They, you know, they don't know what Blake's going to do and Blake is obviously messing with all the Federation's plans, so... Very complex situation that Chris Boucher just dropped in the final two minutes of the story. <laughs> yeah, this is Blake 7, though. You know, got to have the hard-hitting points just to be slightly touched on. And right at the on, end of the story and, and just ignore them. And, uh, <laughs> moving forward. Yeah, so that's how the episode ends, actually. Yeah, like, like we mentioned? Oh, yeah. Blake well, actually no, tells yeah. Beck that he can press the button to destroy the plantations to get back at the Terra Nostra. And then I think... Do some ships show up at the end? Or am I imagining that? Am I, mixing I mean, it, it could be... You, am I mixing could, it up with something could, else? Could be anything, really. You know, you never know when a bunch of ships are just going to show up at the end of a Blake 7 episode. <laughs> I might be mixing it up with Star Trek, which I was watching the other day. Uh, I don't remember, I, don't remember. I just remember the episode ends right as Beck is about to push the button. You don't see him do it, so maybe he doesn't do it. We don't know for sure. Maybe Beck grows a conscience in the final five minutes of the story. <laughs> five seconds, I mean. Wait, five seconds. Yeah, so... Basically, my favorite episode of Blake 7 so far, I think. Yeah, this is one of the best so far. Probably not my favorite. I, I'm still holding out with Duel as my favorite. <laughs> Gotta love that shit battle. I mean, <laughs> I mean you know, Duel you is know, a good episode, so... Basically, all of them are good episodes. But this is one of the best. I, uh, <laughs> well, ORAC, but... Um, yeah, I, I really... My favorite part about this episode was how it actually used all of the characters for once. Yeah, and I think it redeems the show after redemption i mean i guess you can i guess you can say cygnus alpha used all of them but they weren't all assembled at that point so yeah you know. no the story definitely gives everybody a, a purpose even gan who's been kind of shafted for I mean, the past would, couple weeks I, I would, gets his time in the sun i would be okay with gan in this episode if that was his character if that was established as his character earlier and wasn't just some out of nowhere thing mm -hmm. right because gan hasn't really had that much of a conscience before but if they had set him up like that and and continued characterizing him like that, I would have no problem with Gan in this episode. Yeah. I also like this because Callie got a... It was a Callie episode, and she'd sort of also been shafted uh, lately, so... Yeah. No, Callie's also kind of a cool character. She's definitely up there with the with the main triathlon, and <laughs> I guess... They're all actually really cool characters, now that I think about it, except really for Gan, who, once again, has been ping-ponged between seven and, and the different is, characterizations, which makes it difficult to be like, oh, yeah, Gan's a really cool character, because, like, are yeah. you talking about unlimited Gan? Are you talking about limited Gan? Are you talking about, are you talking about Gan? shadow Gan? Are you talking about, you know, Gan, when he first shows up in his first episode, even, is, like, completely different from his later appearances? Yeah, I mean... Gan, like, the concept of Gan is, is good, but, you know, just probably the most mismanaged character out of all of them. Yeah, because, the, you know, they did use his one kind of unique character trait, which was his limiter in, in Breakdown. But other than that, you know, we've never really seen it. Like, Callie is telepathic, and yeah, this is like the big telepathic Callie episode, but we've seen Callie use her telepathy before. It wasn't just introduced in her first episode and then dropped until now. She used it before she used it in 
She's used it a bunch of times. She's used it a bunch of times. I'm not remembering specific episodes. She's used it in Bounty a lot. She uh, used it in that episode where Avon and Callie stayed behind and Blake went away and Avon was like, he better come back. The one that was like Agatha Christie in space. Oh, yeah, Mission to Destiny. Yeah, Mission to Destiny. So, yeah, that's just a bummer about Gan. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Must be, I mean, that might also play into why he was like the least liked character going into this season, which we've mentioned a couple times now about the poll that said, oh, Gan's the least favorite character of the audience. And yep. it's probably because Gan didn't get as much character as everybody else. So. Oh, well. Anyway, ratings for this episode. Uh, I rated this episode Villa's sideburns out of everybody's sideburns because, you know, Villa's sideburns in this episode are basically the perfect sideburns. They're good, strong, thick, and basically all around amazing. Yeah, I, and thought, I thought they were a little little too much. Maybe maybe like this episode, maybe a little too much going on in the second half with all uh, the weird trippy Cali stuff. But uh, I don't know. I think compared to everybody else's sideburns, Villa's definitely was the best. And like this episode compared to all the others, definitely the best. <laughs> Well, I rated it a Servaland's plan from Deliverance because it was a little hard to follow, you know, but ultimately still an okay, like pretty high up there, good, good sort of plan. Except didn't Servaland's plan completely fall apart? Yeah, well, that was in the execution. You know, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe this had a, a better execution, but, uh, you know, uh, I specifically mentioned Deliverance, not Orac, because in Deliverance, it sounded pretty good. It sounded pretty good. It sounded pretty good. Yeah, like this episode. Like on paper, good. it was pretty good. And then they were like, oh, we tried to hey, we tried to do it and it just nah, didn't work. You know, come to think of it, that plan might have actually been better executed. This was something we mentioned on ORAC. I'm kind of saying this as a joke, but I also, now that I think about it, I'm kind of serious about this. Might have been better executed. Also in terms of Travis and Zerverland's character, if they got someone else to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Zerverland should have actually delegated her work. Instead of actually taking it into her own hands for once, yeah, that t- now, turned out and, to be her critical mistake. And now that I think about it, we didn't even mention this in ORAC, but it is really weird that Servaland just decided to take this into her own hands. Yeah. There's uh, there's pretty much no reason why she would want to, except I guess she didn't want anyone else to know about ORAC. But even still, she wasn't the one who authorized the purchase of ORAC, was it? She said like the Federation itself had, had authorized the purchase. She wasn't the, the highest order on that. It was her plan, definitely, Especially the part about killing Marriott. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. But you'd, still. You'd think if she was okay with killing Marriott, she'd be okay with, you know, getting someone else to accompany Travis and having them potentially die rather than endanger herself. But, yeah, she know, could whatever. just have Travis kill that other person at the end of the mission if she really wanted to keep it secret. <clears throat> so. Yeah, maybe it wasn't hmm. as good a, maybe it wasn't as well thought out a plan as I thought it was, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, there seems to be some critical holes. Anyway, so we once again got an email from regular correspondent and basic third host Sergeant Drano. Still working on getting him on an episode, so he will actually be a third host at some point. Sergeant Drano, if you're listening and I haven't emailed you back yet, in your next email, please include what episode you'd like to be on. As long as it's not as long as it's not weapon, which we've yeah. already recorded. Yep. So anything except that, just let me know. And we're recording uh, Horizon next week, so in your next email. Okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and read it. The subject line is Blake 7, Redemption and Shadow. Hey guys, so Redemption. 
I find myself going against most of Blake Seven fandom on this one in that I actually really like this episode. Ooh, no. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it wasn't a letdown at all, and I appreciated the show following through and giving closure to one of its central mysteries. And so far as we know, the system is still out there. Only DSV-1 blew up, that giant station, and the three planets are still intact. I have to say, I'm shocked that you guys thought that most of the costumes were ridiculous, but that Blake was pretty much the same. Are you kidding? Triple question mark. Those sleeves! It's like he made a shirt out of a pair of hammer pants. Pretty good balance on the characters in this episode. Blake gets to be heroic. Avon gets to say, I told you so. Villa gets to save the day with his lock skills, spelt with a Z. Jenna gets to hot shot pilot their way out of the station. Gan gets to do big strong guy stuff. Oraki gets to hack things. Only Callie really doesn't get much to do. I really dug the action staging and locations in this one. That station feels like a real place, because it is. It was huge and impressive. The running battle was great. Nice amount of violence with Slave Guy getting his back blown out. <laughs> Another 7 out of 7. And then Shadow. Wow, they really packed a lot into this episode. Evil Orak trolls Callie. Callie gets solo command of the Liberator. Gan gets to take a moral stand against Blake and be proven right. We get the Terra Nostra plot, the evil interdimensional being plot. We meet the Moon Discs. They are cute. Callie rescues one and Blake burns the rest of them alive. Exclamation point question mark. Avon gets to say, I told you so. Again. Hey, maybe that should be a segment, the Avon says I told you so moment of each episode. How did you guys like Blake, Avon, and Jenna's matching Luke Skywalker Tatooine costumes? Namaste, Sergeant Drano, Station 7, the door. Right, so as usual, I think we're just going to go in order, address yeah. some of these things. Yeah, you, you mentioned how you really like how they wrapped up one of the central mysteries of the show. Yeah, I, I, I like that idea too, I just didn't like the execution of how they how they did it. Yeah, because I think the execution was, let's give no background at all and just remove any possibility of there being any background for Zen, that is, and for the Liberator itself. I mean, they tell you where the Liberator came from, but that's all you get about right, that and, mystery. And, I mean, you sort of get the, the information about the the war between the three planets and stuff, but it doesn't really come into play, and it's sort of just explained by this guy who's hiding out in the vents, basically. Yeah. So, you know, I... That's one of the things we were looking forward to the most since the beginning of the show is like, where did the Liberator come from? Mm-hmm. And when we were actually given that, maybe that maybe our expectations got the better uh, better of us. I mean, it's possible, or it's possible Terry Nation just didn't actually know possible what he was. Terry Nation's a hack. No, I mean, I'm just it's, it's possible Terry Nation didn't actually know what he was going to do with it and just wanted to get it out of the way so that they could focus on other things, which is I yeah. think something we mentioned in our redemption episode. Although you do mention that the three planets are still intact and. I don't remember if we ever actually got any confirmation that any of the the people who lived on the station actually lived on the planets, but if they do, then I guess that's a possible route that they could take to bring them back. You're shocked that we thought the costumes were ridiculous. Well, that but Blake They're, was pretty much the same. Uh, Blake was pretty much the same, except he yeah, added some it's, sleeves. It's those sleeves, and I mean, I uh, I posted about this on Twitter too. I sort of uh, realized after the fact, like, yeah, the sleeves are kind of huge. Um, because there's this group shot of them. I guess this was a promotional image where Blake is standing in front of everyone and he has his hands sort of spread out as if he's blocking them from something. And yeah, his, his sleeves are like very highlighted in that picture. Got to make sure you have enough space in your sleeves to store all the stuff. You know, like um, your arms. <laughs> uh, Blake is just jacked. No. <laughs> um, it's like that old joke, where do you store your armies? In your sleeveies. <laughs> but no, I mean the... Series B costumes are actually really uh, growing on me. You know, they're they're a little more out there than Series One, but especially that full length robe from Gan. Really, you like, just really yeah. like the full length robe. Yeah, yeah, I do. 
I just liked Callie's cape in Shadow. Yeah, Callie's cape is cool. Because, I mean, we've never seen anyone in the show with a cape, except for Sovlan, I guess. Yeah, Pretty so good balance really on the kill. characters and redemption. Yeah, I think I think it was, from what I remember. Uh, only Callie not getting much to do. Well, that's just a byproduct of there being eight characters on the show. Although, I noticed you didn't mention Zen in your list, and Zen didn't really do much in redemption either. And then Callie is basically the focus on in Shadow for a lot of the episodes, so I guess mm-hmm. they sort of make up for it there. You said nice amount of violence with the slave guy getting his back blown out. Um, no, I mean, uh, I don't condone violence, so... Uh... There's um there's a edit of the end of Redemption when they're when for, uh when they're doing the fight scene or whatever that has a Benny Hill theme playing over it uh, with like sound effects and it's it's really funny it's on YouTube so I'll, I mean that's I'll post kind it of like I'll... the sitcomy edits we keep asking people to provide yeah I, could, I couldn't believe that someone did I couldn't believe that there's a Benny Hill edit but there's not a laugh track edit <laughs> uh, Shadow was really good like we said in this episode uh, definitely my favorite episode so far even including weapon which we've already recorded evil orac uh, it was definitely the best part but we're never going to see evil orac again because i think we actually forgot to mention and i was just thinking about this a couple days ago i think we forgot to mention that avon fits a bomb to orac oh yeah that's gonna go off if there's any variation in orac's parameters so i wonder if that'll come back to bite them in any way or actually blows not. up Probably and blows not. a hole in the side of the Liberator. And they're like, oh, damn it, Avon. <laughs> yeah, the moon discs are really cute. Like I said, I want one. And uh, the Avon I told you so moment. This is actually a, a segment that I kind of wanted to introduce. Like what uh, Avon's best line per episode or something. Or like Avon poking fun or making fun of the other members or whatever. But uh, uh, what are they called? Uh, Spacefall. Mm-hmm podcast already has a uh what snappy and cool lines did chris boucher give avon segment in their podcast so you know they they're they've sort of covered that i was already. Just gonna say we already mentioned all of avon's snappy lines anyway without a proper segment dedicated to it so uh, dedicating an actual segment to it might just segment just, our show and it would just be us reading the lines and saying like yeah that was funny yeah or something like it's that. a lot more natural to just mention them when they come up i think anyway yeah and the Tatooine costumes, I did not actually draw that comparison, but now that you mention it, yeah, I guess that's a good comparison. I did. I absolutely drew that comparison. And uh, I even joked about it on Twitter, like, yeah, <laughs> we wanted the Star Wars audience. But, yeah. 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 And I think I think we mentioned in this episode, again, we're recording this bit a week afterwards, but uh, Blake 7 actually came out before Star Wars in the UK, like a week before Star Wars. Yeah. Premiered, although people had probably already seen it one way or another. Because it came out about six months earlier in the, in the U.S. States. Yeah. A bootleg VHS. <laughs> Maybe. Bootleg I, don't know VHS, I don't know if VHS was even around in 78. Probably to some capacity, but not like... Widely used. On, um, God, I forget which podcast this was. It was either Shaken Blake or Blake 7 in character where one of the hosts said he used to audio record Blake 7. He had all 52 episodes of Blake 7 on audio tape because he used to just put the recorder near his television speaker and record the episodes that way. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's that's how we have the reconstructions for Doctor Who, right? Is that people recorded the audio of the episode and that's how we have the yeah. audios because someone stuck an audio tape in front of the... Yeah. And that's why some of the God, reconstruction... Dark Ages. That's how some of the reconstruction episodes of Doctor Who have like really, really <laughs> low quality audio because it's like <laughs> coming out of a TV into an audio re- recorder, so... 
anyway, yeah, that's just kind of a little Doctor Who connection there. And uh, yeah, once again, let us know if I haven't emailed you back, which I will likely forget to do. In your next email, just include what episode you want to be on with us, and then we can, uh, we can, well, we will work something out. So, yep. It's just not allowed to be weapon because we've already recorded that episode. And so if you would like to email us, you, the audience member, you can email us at thedoctordecadivegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry rants, love letters, your thoughts on Shadow, the drug war of the future. You can find us on YouTube at Decadent Vegetable. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Blake's at Zenith or Blake 7 Podcast. Man, I'm really butchering this outro today. And please leave a rating if you like the show. Check us on Facebook. Trust your doctor. Like us on Facebook. Also check us on Twitter at TYD Podcast and follow us on Twitter. And next time we're watching Weapon. But until then, the end. <laughs>